So, just a question for you. What is it that you think really contributes to how long you live? There's the three big obvious things. Number one, genetics plays a huge role in that. You can't do anything about that. There is driving on icy roads. <laughs> I don't know who the smart ones are. You all, or you who are watching us online, welcome to those of you who are watching online, and we're happy that you're part of this experience today. Or, I guess another thing that contributes to how long you live is how often you smart off your mama. Uh, that uh, other than those things, though, here's something I found fascinating. Your work life has a lot to do with how long you live, and it's not necessarily the correlation that I would have thought. Working longer into what others would consider retirement age can increase your longevity in life. It can make you live longer. Uh, there was one study reported in the Harvard Medical School Journal. Uh, it was done over 18 years, and it's th like 3,000 people, and what they found is just working one year beyond 65 meant that you had a 9 to 11% chance of not dying, greater chance of not dying in that 18-year period. Just working one more year beyond 65, and you're going to maybe live longer. That sounds crazy to me, but that's what it is. The CDC had another study of almost 100,000 people, and they found that people who worked beyond 65 were uh, three times as likely to report being in better health, no matter what health they were in at the time that survey was done. And it suggested that half, they're half as likely to have serious health issues like heart disease and other, uh, like it reduces the, the risk of dementia and heart attacks. This is crazy to me. This is not what I would have thought. Maybe you all are thinking this is something you would have expected. I can give you a real-life example of this. Uh, this is Bill Hansen. Bill did what a lot of people do when he was 65. He retired from his first career, spent about a year, and just realized, I am bored silly. I don't know what to do with myself. So he went back to work for a second career, worked another 32 years in his second career at, uh, I think it's called Hutchison's Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling. 32 years. He finally retired at 97 because his family said, Dad, you don't have to work anymore. Just stay home. So he did. But again, so bored for his 100th birthday. I think it was like last year. His birthday gift from, was from his former employer. He got to go back to work for the day. Is that what you're going to do when you're 100? I, that's awesome. He went to work. They brought him in. They had a cake for him. They spent about 15 minutes saying congratulations. And then the CEO, Fred Hutchison, said, all right, Bill, it's time to get to work. Gave him a full list of things to do. Because he was like a permit manager, and he was a service call guy. I bet he was great at what he did. And uh, so he went out, and for his birthday, just worked all day and loved it. Uh, the CEO said, uh, he took about 15 minutes, and he went to work. Bill Hansen, on that day, because the newspapers all were like, this is crazy, we've got to report this. He said, I hated being retired. I never had a job where I didn't want to go to work in the morning. And he attributes his health and his well-being, of course, to his family, uh, to his loving wife, and he just loves to work, and he did it. So does work make you live longer? Bill would say, yeah, and I'm going to do what Bill did. I think that's a phenomenal idea, just uh, this sounds counterintuitive, especially those of you who are sitting here and you go, like, I hate what I do every day, uh, or I've already retired, and I don't know, this isn't going to be helpful to me. I'll just be clear here in full disclosure, some of the medical stuff that I looked into, it's not just a clear-cut case. There are some instances where people who continue to work put themselves at a higher risk for things. For example, if you're already in a dangerous job, if you already are in a high-risk situation where you, um, you could be injured in your employment, that's a factor you need to consider. Uh, if you are in a physically demanding job that takes its toll on you, uh, if you are in a job that is completely stressful where you're either bored or you feel unfulfilled or you don't have no sense of purpose, that can create stress, which can lead to uh, strokes and heart disease. So 
You know, it's not just, you know, a cold cut case where you just work longer, you're going to live longer. But here's the thing. You look at it, everybody works. Everybody does. And you think, well, I don't anymore. But yeah, you might be working in a job right now. You may be working at home. You might volunteer in an organization. You might have uh, responsibilities that you have with family. Maybe you're a stay-at-home parent. Maybe you, um, you volunteer at an organization. Maybe you're caregivers. Some, everybody does something. And the truth of it is, your work is whatever you do on a daily basis. The things that you are responsible for, the people who are counting on you, that's your work. And a lot of people think about work and they just think of it as a necessary evil. They think, well, work is what happened when sin entered the world, which is not really true. If you go back to the beginning of all things, work happened before sin entered the world. It was a good thing. It's just that work is now harder than it used to be because there are some things that don't work like they should. And the ground doesn't cooperate with farmers, and, and things do go wrong with the weather. But really, work is not evil. Work can be good, and it can be fulfilling. And one of the links, if you are a person who does work, and we all do, between enjoying what you do uh, is having a sense of mission and purpose in what you do. When you, when you have that sense of, I know why I'm doing what I'm doing, and it matters, it makes all the difference. I don't know if you've heard of Liz Ryan. She writes business articles for Forbes magazine. I really like what she writes. You should look at it sometime if you are interested in that stuff at all. She says, let's just imagine together that there's a um, world-class violin maker in Italy, and she just named him Franco. And uh, he's, he's got maybe 15 or 20 uh, journeyman apprentices and skilled craftsmen there that work with him in his shop, and they turn out violins that the whole world waits in line to buy, the things that people are on a waiting list for. So you got this guy in your mind, you got his workshop in mind. Just ask yourself, as she does in her article, is Franco happy? Any given day when you walk into his shop, you might see something on his face that looks like frustration, concentration, um, in the zone, exhausted, confused, frustrated, uh, ecstatic about something. But nobody would go in there and necessarily say, oh, they get, those guys are having a great time. It's awesome. Like their employer gave them a ping pong table and they got their own icy machine. It's not like that. But are they in the place that they feel like they're actually doing something meaningful? Absolutely. The whole world loves it, that they go to work every day with a sense of mission and passion and purpose. And that's really what connects you to enjoying your work. And you might be saying, well, somebody needs to talk to my employer because I don't have that. Um, now, here's what's really interesting, though. If you are a Christian, you automatically gain a sense of mission and purpose for your whole life, including your work life, the moment you become a Christian. If you're not a Christian, I know I'm not talking to you, but this could be true for you as well. And here's why I say that. We're in this message series, The Way of Jesus, where we're looking at how he would live our lives. The key verse for all this whole series is in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. This is a good one to memorize. I don't always say this, but this is a verse that should be tucked away in your head so that you could just repeat this. I'm reading this out of the NLT version. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along as well. It says here, whatever you do, whatever you say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus or Literally, it says, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
That's your sense of purpose. That's what we talk about in this series, living our life with Jesus style. It's, you know, it's still your life. You still go to work. You still have your family, but you're doing it in the way, like if Jesus was living my life, how would he live it with the things that I experience and the people that I have to deal with? What would Jesus do if he were you? Today, we're talking about what would Jesus do if he had to go to your job and he was literally doing the things you had to do on a daily basis in your home or in your workplace. And this is where I say you get a built-in sense of purpose and mission when you are a Christian because you, wherever you go, it may not be Jesus going there, but you represent him. He's on your name tag. People, wherever you are, if they know that you're a Christian, are going to make assumptions about Jesus based on how you act and, you know, as the verse said, what you say and what you do and what you don't say and what you don't do, what you laugh about, what you don't, what you get upset about, what you hold back on. So we are all a reflection of Jesus, even in our jobs. So I want to take you to some teaching today and just look at what does that look like to live out Jesus wherever we happen to be doing our work at this time in our lives. So if you got a Bible, I want you to turn to Ephesians. And if you got the Bible app, you can find that. And as I'm turning there, you'll notice if you got the worship folder, there's a little asterisk beside the Ephesians 6 notation there with the verses we're going to read. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right up front, there's a couple of offensive words in there. It talks about slaves and masters. And I don't want you to just check out as soon as you hear that. The asterisk is to a link that you can go read later. It's a collection of some writings by some Bible scholars. There's Timothy Keller and what he's written about slavery in the first century that the Bible was written into, the Roman uh, Empire, and also from Dr. D.A. Carson, two people I deeply respect, and they just write about what's the difference between slavery then and now, and, and it was a horrible thing, and you might have some questions as we read through this, like, why do these verses not say that slavery is a bad thing? So I'm just acknowledging that that's a thing. It's a fair question. It's one that we ought to talk about. I just don't have time to talk about it today. I just want you to, I want to give you another little brief caveat after we read the verse. I wanted to give you a heads up before it, though. But uh, listen to this through the filter of maybe as an employee or an employer. It says here, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. And remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. And masters, Treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. So, uh, as I said, the elephant in the room is talking about slaves and masters, and it's before I just very simply say, just replace that with employee and employer, with boss and, and uh, worker. I understand how offensive this could be. I will remind you that when this was written, the church wasn't what it is now. The church was very small. If Paul had been led by the Holy Spirit to say, slavery's wrong and you all shouldn't have, uh, nobody would have listened. In fact, Christianity probably wouldn't have expanded. People obeying teachings like this, though, is what eliminated slavery from the Roman Empire within 100, 200 years. Uh, and so some of the things that you're going to find if you go to that link, you're going to find that uh, slavery during this time period was not race-based like it was what we experienced in the Americas. Uh, it was often what we would have called indentured servitude. So I'm still not saying that it's, it's good. I want to just point out this, though. Timothy Keller says, For our purposes, if, if slave owners are told that they must not manage workers in pride and through fear, how much more should this be true of employers today? And if in this scripture, slaves are told that it's possible to find satisfaction and meaning in their work, how much more should this be true of workers today? So let's go ahead and... I'm getting a lot of um, feedback up here. 
So uh, let's go back to the original question here. How would Jesus do my job? I love what Paul says here. There's some things that are helpful to us no matter who they're written to. He says you should obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Do it sincerely. Verse 6, try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Uh, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm. Uh, verse 9, if you are in a place of authority over somebody, don't threaten them. Here's what I would first tell us. If we're going to work like Jesus, this just all adds up to me to integrity. It's what you do when no one's watching. When you think that you can get away with something, but you don't, just because you know that's not what Jesus would do. You do the right things always. You do the hard things. Because you know that's what Jesus would do in your situation. It's, you, you focus on doing your job with integrity. This is really interesting to me because I don't know if we always think about this, but Jesus actually had two jobs in his lifetime, literal jobs, not spiritualizing it. Of course, when he was 30, he started preaching and teaching as a rabbi, as an itinerant preacher. But before that, you know what he did, right? Somebody say it. He was a carpenter. His adopted father, Joseph, was a carpenter who then taught Jesus to be a carpenter for 30 years or however long. He worked with his hands. He was a blue-collar guy. He swung a hammer for a living, carried a lunchbox to work, stopped at QT and got a big Q and a hot dog. He was that guy. Joseph probably taught him, measure twice, cut once. You know, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Take care of your tools, and your tools will take care of you. Treat the customer well. All those things, Jesus had to do that. There's no, you know, reviews of Jesus' carpentry skills, but I'm pretty sure he'd get five stars if people were writing reviews today because he did a good job in his work, and that's our example. Here's something that Pastor Andy Stanley asks people who are potentially going to be hired into his organization at his church, North Point, down in Atlanta. I think this is a good question for all of us to ask ourselves. They just ask them very simply, knowing what you know about you, would you hire you? Knowing what you know about yourself, would you hire yourself? This comes down to integrity, who you are when nobody's looking. My brother, my little brother, works in retail, and he's worked his entire career, and, and he's worked his way up from literally stocking shelves at the Walmart on Highway K all the way up to working at the management level and executive level. He's awesome. And so I love talking with him about business and just seeing how things are going. He was telling me, this was shocking to me, uh, he was talking to me about theft and how much uh, inventory loss affects businesses around the United States. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of theft in a business. My first assumption would be that the biggest culprit would be shoplifting, right? The five-finger discount, just your product walking out the front door. And that is big. It does account for like a third of all missing inventory in the United States, but it's not the biggest category. Biggest thing is employees stealing from their business. Almost half of the inventory, which is $50 billion a year that goes missing, walks out the door with employees, not people who are shoplifting. I'm like, what? How is that possible? Somebody a while back was telling me about their own place of employment. They had some inventory inconsistencies. Is that a good way to say it? At their place of employment? And uh, it was bacon, actually. Bacon went missing. A lot of bacon. We're like in the thousands talking like how did and it's employees taking it like how do you get away with that with my question for you is would jesus steal bacon <laughs> obviously no because he's jewish right but beyond that he just wouldn't do that he wouldn't do that and this that's the example for us we should probably be that person of integrity no matter what it is no matter what anybody you know else is doing so there's a verse here if you're in ephesians already Chapter 6, just go back over to chapter 4. Paul's writing to Christians. Let me remind you, these are words written to people who've already said yes to Jesus. Verse 21, he said, Since you've heard about Jesus and learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. You go on to verse 28. 
Christians, if you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. I'm just looking at you, Connection Christians. We've got to set the example here. I'm not saying that you've been stealing, but I'm just telling you, maybe you feel like you are not fairly compensated for your time. Maybe each company does make huge profits and they would never miss what you took. Maybe someone did steal your ideas and pass them off as their own. Maybe somebody is expecting you to meet impossible expectations and, and keep an unsustainable pace. Maybe, um, maybe you are expected to work off the clock and not turn that in. I know, I know all kinds of things happen that shouldn't happen. Jesus also knows that, and he sees that, and he sees what you do in response to that. And he sees what you do when nobody else sees it. And I'm just going to tell you, somebody else's bad behavior doesn't justify bad behavior on your part. Let's just not do that. You represent Jesus wherever you are. So be a good, honest reflection of him. If something ever did come to light, just let it be something good that you did that nobody knew about. Be a, a diligent, honest, hardworking representation of Jesus I, uh, before I was pastor, worked in grocery stores. And when I was in college, I worked for Schnucks. And I went to my boss because I had a friend at college who needed a job. And I said, I've got a guy who could use some work. And he said, well, you know, the official process is this, go to corporate. But yeah, just have him come talk to me. I'll see what I can do. Um, and so that was, it was really me calling in a favor at that point. But my boss ended up putting a word in for him, got him hired at my store. And it was Kenny was just awesome. I knew he would be. My boss came back to me. It wasn't even like a week later. He goes, you get any more Kennys at that school of yours? Because I'll hire all of them. Said, Kenny had just made such a great... And it's sad to me that anymore, just showing up to work on time and doing a good job and not stealing sets you ahead of people. But if so, be it. Let's just be the ones who, oh, they're a Christian. They must be a good worker. Let's just let that be the, the example. So that's the first thing. Just work with integrity for Jesus Here's another thing. Uh, I just, as I observe these verses, I think it's important to focus on your work as if you're doing it for Jesus himself. Like in verse 5, where um, he said that we should serve our superiors sincerely, just as we would serve Christ. And then down in verse 7, you can't get any clearer than this. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. I like what Pastor Chip Ingram says. He's a scholar as well. He says, this means we do our best work and we give our best attitude and our best effort not to please our bosses or anyone else. We're doing this for God. We're looking at him when we do our best. Uh, Kirsten and I have a friend several years ago. She was in an awful job. If I told you the details of her job, you go, oh, that is awful. We were constantly saying, you're like, you need to get a new job. And she says, I know. I've got my resume out there. I'm doing all the networking, but uh, it's just not. And she would tell us what her boss done that day and how belittling and demeaning and how uh, just driven everything was and the expectations were beyond awful. And sometimes there were some things that were unethical that she was expected to do and she wouldn't do. And that just made things worse. Um, and so she's trying to find a job. It hadn't found one yet. And she would like to eat like most people and have a place to live. So she had to stick this job out until she got a new job. And um, one day she just had this epiphany. She found these verses and she found the verse that said, you know, you work for the Lord and not for men. And it's like, it's just like a light bulb went off in her head. She went to work, and the change from that moment was so noticeable. Her, her coworkers, who were in the same boat as she was, like, this place is awful. We can't get out of here fast enough. She said, something's different. Even her boss noted, like, there's something different about you. And I don't remember if my friend said it to the boss or just said it to us. She said, I just realized, I don't work for you anymore. 
I'm looking right past my boss, and Jesus is right behind my boss, and I'm working for him. So everything I give to my job, I'm going to give 100% because I'm working for him. I don't care what my boss says or does. I'm going to go 100% for Jesus. And that helped her keep her eyes on Jesus. And maybe that's what you need to do, just to realize I go to a job where there's not a whole lot of passion, where there's not a whole lot of things that I enjoy. Maybe it is for you that there are some things you're expected to do that go above and beyond. Just look at Jesus. He's the one you're working for, ultimately. He's the one that we all want to please. And I want to just give you one last layer to this as we wrap this up. And, and this is where your job connects to the, the greater purpose in life. This is where the integrity thing comes in. This is where working for Jesus matters. Because whatever we do, whether it's at home or if it's being a caregiver, if it's volunteering in an organization or actually working somewhere, there's always that bigger picture. And to show you this, I want to step out of Ephesians. We're going to stay loosely connected to Ephesians, though. We're going to go over to Acts. And Acts is like the history of the church. Now, the letter of Ephesians that we've just been in, Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to the church in Ephesus. That's why we call it Ephesians. In Acts chapter 20, he's meeting with the elders from Ephesus. So there's still that connection there. And uh, Paul says these words to those elders. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul says, that was my mission in life. You go to Paul now in heaven and ask him, he'll tell you, man, everything that I had, the integrity, I was looking at Jesus and I knew that he had told me, tell the good news of Jesus, that God is for people, not against them, that he's willing to forgive their sins, that they can be adopted into God's family and live eternally in a real place. That's the good news. And I, I had to tell everybody. I went all over the world telling people that. And you might be thinking, yeah, that's great. That's the Apostle Paul. That was his job and he did it. Good job. Kudos to him. Uh, hold on. Not so fast. You may think you got a normal job and you're not a pastor or you're not an elder. You don't have to do that. This is everybody's job, not just the Apostle Paul and not just Pastor Brian and Pastor Aaron and Pastor Jeff and the elders of the church. Everybody. This is when I said you got an automatic mission when you signed on with Jesus. It's everybody's job to share the good news of Jesus. And part of you doing that is in your workplace. You are the one who gets to share Jesus through your work. Uh, so that's the last encouragement I've got for you. Focus on using your work to share the good news of Jesus. You might have a little warning bells going off in your mind, like, I've heard from HR on this. We're not really supposed to be handing out invitations to church and talking about our faith and pulling out our Bible. It's not what I'm talking about. If you're in a place where you are allowed to have Bible studies, go for it. If you're in a place where you can talk about your faith with other people, please do it. But that's not really what I'm talking about. We're talking, first of all, about how you live your life and how you work your job. Does that push people closer to God, or do they go, oh, that's just another Christian, roll their eyes, and have your actions and your words have pushed them further away from Jesus? I love this verse. This is uh, the Apostle Paul, again, writing, but it's a different audience. He's writing to a young pastor named Titus. Titus chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Listen to Paul. Slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but they must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Now, here's the why. Then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. Yeah, you may be a slave, and that is awful, and it should not be, and God is working on that in the world so that that will disappear from the world. But in the meantime, live in such a way that people are pushed towards Jesus, because the more people who are following Jesus, the better this place is going to be. 
I love what Jesus said himself. This is Matthew chapter 5. You've probably heard these words before. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. And when you hear world, just immediately think of your sphere of influence. It's your family, it's your friends, it's your workplace, it's your neighborhood. You're the light of that world. It's like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp's placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will... As Andy Stanley says, they see your good deeds and they give you a bonus. They see your good deeds and they give you a big attaboy in front of everybody else and a cake. They see your good deeds and you get extra time off. No, the whole point of it, and I hope you get those things, by the way. I'm not dismissing those as being irrelevant. Those are good things, but um, the whole point is do the good deeds so that people ultimately praise God in heaven because they know you're a Christian who follows him. No matter what your job is, man, it matters because you're surrounded by people who are like that close to eternity. And you have the power within your example and your words to push them closer to God or further away. Use that. That's your mission. That's your purpose in life. If, and I, I hope you love the work that you do. You know that expression, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life? So true, right? Get yourself in the zone and you just, you're doing what you know God made you to do. I hope everybody gets to feel that, but sometimes we don't. But you can still have a, fence, a sense of mission and purpose when every day you go to work and you go, today, I'm going to let my life push people closer to Jesus. Today, I'm going to work with integrity. Today, I'm going to do my best at whatever it is I'm given, whether I feel like I'm good at it or not, whether I feel like it's fair or not. I'm, gonna, I'm not just going to do as little as possible. No judgment, but how many people are going to work a little bit buzzed because they're just trying to take the edge off? They're trying to maximize the break times. How many smoke breaks can I have? How long can I stay in the bathroom? How long can I hide from the boss before he actually asks me to why don't we be the ones who are in the forefront of doing things diligently and with passion, being an example of integrity? You know, like I said, I hope you love your job. And uh, that is something for us to work on and pray about. If you, you know, maybe you do need to make a switch and find something that God really truly did make you to do. Uh, and if you do love your job, I am still talking to you. Because along with how do I motivate my employees? How do I maximize profits? How do I get the sale closed? How do I get the case filed? How do I win? What, those are good things too. I am not dismissing good work. God gave that to us as a gift to feel like every day I do something that I'm good at and I know makes the world a better place. But even then, in that situation, you got to think about the bigger picture because I'm a representative of Jesus Maybe even just in your mind, imagine yourself wearing a name tag that has Jesus' name on it. And so, like, if I work for UPS, I know that I've got to adhere to that. Whatever it is that I work for, I'm representing that company. But we're all representing Jesus. So and maybe just in this moment, as we go forward, just start thinking about how have I represented Jesus and how do I need to maybe change that? Is there anything in my life that needs to change? Because Jesus is my Lord. Because Jesus doesn't just care about Sunday morning. He doesn't just care about that little narrow slice of, okay, now I'm done reading the Bible and praying, so now I get to go off to the rest of my normal life. Don't ever do this thing where you put your faith in this pocket and the rest of your Monday to Saturday life in this pocket and the two never meet. That's not what God wanted. It's one life that we all live, and he wants to be part of all of it, and he has something to say about all of it. And I'll just say this as I close this out. If what I'm saying to you means nothing to you because you have not yet committed to Jesus, today would be a great day to do that, to commit to Jesus. He completely wants to not just take over your life and tell you exactly what to do. He wants to transform your life and forgive you of your sins and help you be able to do all the right things in the right way. Let me pray. And if you've got questions, I want to talk to you more after service and I'll be available. But let's pray right now. Father, I just thank you so much for what you've done in our lives.
that you have given us meaningful things to do, that you've called us to a higher purpose. I thank you for what that means to me, that I literally and we literally know that we are secure in your love. And I pray for people who don't feel a sense of satisfaction today, that you would start to move us towards uh, healing in that way. Help us to be good examples of you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother.